When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You're watching episode 125. So we are uh, approaching approaching that 150 mark here. We only got 25 more of these bad boys to go. With the uh, slow news cycle, the way it's been going, I'm not sure how quick we'll get there. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. And this episode, as always, is you know kind of it's brought to you by our swag. So if you want to support the podcast. Maryland flag shorts. You can go to laxfactor.com. We have all sorts of swag. We've got branded t-shirts, and then we have rando, just cool lacrosse t-shirts, all designed in-house, uh, printed by uh, Printful and fulfilled by Printful. So uh, go to laxfactor.com to support us that way, and let's get into it. We have uh, uh, U.S. lacrosse, I think, is where I yanked these from. They came out with their D1 preseason positional players of the year, and it almost perfectly matches what I would have done. So I'm going to put out my own video that'll go into a little bit greater detail. Maybe I won't after I'm done doing this because this is, like I said, it's a kind of act as my own list as well, because I would have, there's only one uh, positional, the midfield midfielder of the year. I may have changed that up a little bit, but we'll see how that goes. So anyway, Let's get right into it here. And then we'll have a segment later, actually, uh, called Storytime with Pro Lacrosse Players, where I'll, you know, I listen to a bunch of uh, lacrosse podcasts. And admittedly, I'm not a big fan of lacrosse podcasts. And it, the only reason being, even though I'm a lacrosse podcaster, I like to listen to dudes rambling. And, and I don't do that here. I'm kind of more of a news podcast kind of deal. But uh, I love listening to just random guys shooting the shit. And uh, my new favorite podcast is the post game with Nick Ocello and Evan Malloy. So they had Ryder Guernsey on this week. So there was a really funny segment uh, that we're going to start doing this as I listen. It's going to end up stroking these guys off. And these guys are, to, to quote Evan Malloy, and these guys are going to end up getting the bulk of these, I presume, because their podcast is now my new favorite. But I suspect it'll be a, a mix between uh, the crease dive, the barstool guys telling stories with dudes, and these guys will end up probably eating most of these segments. So we'll do that a little bit later as well. Uh, so to get into the D1 positional players of the year. We got to talk about attackman of the year first. Preseason attackman of the year, both mine and probably everybody else's, is going to be Michael Sowers, formerly of Princeton fame, now of Duke fame. I talk about Sowers all the time, but how can you not? Uh, you know, he's the best player in the world uh, uh, right now. The best player, best college lacrosse player, uh, period, right now. And, you know, he once he moves on and plays pro, if that's what he decides to do, he's going to be one of the best players in the world hands down. So Sowers career points. It, it's a no brainer making him the attackman of the year. He was on pace to break all sorts of records in the shortened 2020 season over just five games played in 2020 Sowers goes for 16 goals, 31 helpers, 47 points over five games. That is absolutely insane. Uh, 31% shooting percentage, 60% uh, on goal, a game winner, uh, played huge against the, uh, in Princeton's upset of UVA. Had Princeton coming back from like a middling, 
in, in 2019, Princeton was like a mid-level uh, Ivy League team, and he had them, you know, people talking about them after those first five games as a potential national uh, title contender. So huge for Sowers. 14 GBs, 10 turnovers, but he touches the ball all the time. You're going to have that. So Michael Sowers was was an absolute no-brainer for this position here. If I look up his bio and just rip, rip through his bio here, um, in his time at Princeton, which spanned three years and five games, their all-time leading scorer with 300 career, uh, 302 career points, holds Princeton's record for career assist, is tied for fifth in career goals, ranks one, two, three on Princeton's single-season scoring list, which is crazy. And, I mean, Princeton, man, is a powerhouse from back in the day. So, I mean, the, the, the roll call of guys who he had to frog jump to get up there, they're all legends. Fourth all-time in career assists per game, ranked 16th all-time in Division One. I. I could go on and on. Everybody knows Mike Sowers, best player in college lacrosse. Obviously, that makes him the best attackman in college lacrosse, uh, so it makes sense he would be the attackman of the year. Now, the midfielder of the year. Now, this is the only one that I think I'd probably – at first, I was like, ah, oh, man, that's a bad call. This, this dude probably should have been maybe the specialist of the year. Um, and maybe flip-flopped with another guy. But I do see the point here. And they picked Ryan Tarafanko of uh, Ohio State fame. And in, in hindsight, I think now that I've considered it, and actually I did a lot of that considering while I was sitting here um, getting ready to go. I already hit record, and I just sat here in silence for a little while trying to figure out what I was going to say. Um, Tarafanko, I think, would be my midfielder of the year, partly because he is a super senior coming back as a graduate senior after the COVID-shortened year. He's a two-time team captain, played 52 career games. He's their active career leader in ground balls. The dude is a ball hawk, a ridiculous two-way midfielder in terms of his capabilities. Primarily, though, put him on, a, on, a, on, a, on the, your, the opposing team's best mid, and he's going to beat people up. Three-time USILA All-American at short stick defensive midfield, earning honorable mention in 2017, third-team accolades in 2018, and second-team honors in 2019. 34 career points, so he gets up the field and mixes it up as well. Um, Two-time Tawarton Award nominee, first-team All-Big Ten in 2018 and 2019, and as we talked about it, being put on either like the All-ACC or the All-Big Ten team, being put on your conference's uh, team is a big deal because they're typically smaller teams and, and every every conference is loaded with talent. So for him to be a two-time Big Ten, and he would have been a three-time Big Ten after the 2020 season. Uh, he's a sports industry major. Nobody cares. All we care about right now is lacrosse. And he's a three-time OSU scholar athlete. So he's got a little bit, you know, he's better than average gray matter rocking around up here in his head. Uh, in his senior season, in that COVID-shortened season, which is uh, going to go down with an asterisk for all these guys. First team preseason All-American, obviously. Twarton Award nominee, obviously. Uh, Big Ten preseason players to watch list. Could have ended up being the Big Ten player of the year, if uh, uh, depending on how things played out. Probably not, though. I would have given that to Ber probably Bernhardt or uh, Grant Amat were going to take the Big Ten player of the year, depending on how things shook out. Uh, picked up seven ground balls in what was the final game of their season in a 13-11 win over number 14 Notre Dame, and then helped Ohio State to an 11th uh, ranking nationally in clearing percentage, which is a weird thing. But uh, the dudes, you just give the guy the ball, let him book it upfield, put him on, a, on, a, on one of the other opposing team's best midfielders. He's going to beat them up and stay, just keep pace with them, pester them all game long. Tarafanko, a huge, huge, huge fa uh, uh, part of what Ohio State does and why uh, I believe I also had Ohio State at one point as one of my top uh, returning defensive teams for the 2021 season. We get into defender 
of the year, preseason defender of the year. And this would have been my pick. I think this is unanimous across the board. You give it to JT Giles Harris. Now there's a lot of really good defenders. So there could have been some defenders um, or could be some defenders in 2021 that could end up stealing this away from him. But the, the fact that he's a super senior, and that's why I think uh, this list is going to be full of super seniors because it, with the COVID shortened season and how all that stuff plays out, you give it to the vet, you give it to the vet that has the best overall track record. That does not necessarily mean that vet's going to be the guy who ends up winning that award in the end. So JT Giles Harris, super senior graduate student at Duke, started all eight games on close D in that shortened season. Inside lacrosse, first team All-American, led the team with 13 cost turnovers, which is telling because teams avoid him. He's not the best on-ball defender in the country, although he is more than capable. But what he does really well is anchors the defense, controls the defense, talks the defense through what's going on. He plays well off ball. Sometimes the argument might even be he's a little bit over aggressive when he's playing off ball, which could sometimes put the other guys in a bad spot. But it, this guy I talked about too, he is going to be your prototypical PLL defender. This guy is going to make it in the pro level. He'll make it at the, at the pro level. He's going to be huge at the pro level. I would expect him to be a pretty high up there draft pick as well. He registered at least one ground, ground ball in all eight games. It's not a big deal for a guy like him. Uh, had a cause turnover in seven of the eight games. That is a big deal considering how often people avoid him. Scored his first career goal in a win over Furman. Now, it is a myth that he is a crazy up and down the field score goals kind of guy. He isn't. He he will get up and mix it up in transition, but he's not the kind of guy to put his head down, take the ball to the rack. He's typically going to get the ball up and put it in a more capable player's hands, which is something I like to see out of defenders. I do like seeing defenders rip rope, come up and you know fire off a hundred and fifteen mile an hour shot because we all know that you you take a a fastest shot contest. And you put a bunch of defenders in it because they're typically with that torque, they're going to win a lot of those. Um, the moment they're doing that, they're taking that shot in a fastest shot competition, that that shot, whatever the fastest shot is in terms of the fastest shot competition, uh, put five miles an hour on that and, and start clocking dudes that are letting it rip in games. And I bet you those are, are typically the fastest shots. So I do like seeing defenders rip shit, but he's not that guy. He is just going to take the ball away from someone, pick a ground ball up, double team someone and cause some kind of turnover, let someone else pick it up. But he's going to get the ball up the field and, and out of his hands as soon as possible, even though I bet you he could probably score with the best of them. Uh, he had six ground balls and it caused uh, and caused four turnovers in an overtime victory against Richmond because in February, Duke struggles against everybody. That's just the way it goes. Forced two, two turnovers and had three ground balls and a 15-13 win at Denver in February. And also, gray matter between the brains, ACC academic honor roll. So, no-brainer. JT Giles Harris, I think he was my preseason defender of the year last year as well, but I don't I don't remember, honestly. It was a, it was a really long time ago. Uh, preseason goalie of the year, my boy, Drake Porter gets that. I, uh, I think the, the dude's deserving, especially because of what he has meant to the Syracuse defense. And I think that missing Mellon last year and seeing how well that Syracuse defense played, um, even without their all American defender last year, I think Porter had a lot to do with that between the pipes led the ACC with a 57.7% save percentage, uh, which put him in the area 12th nationally, uh, was on the Tawarton Award watch list, started all five games on that COVID-shortened season, was a USILA scholar, All-American, rocking that gray matter, guys. That's important if you're going to be a D1 athlete, especially a top-tier D1 athlete. Uh, he's played for Team Canada in the U.S. Lacrosse Fall Classic. Um, just like we keep saying, 
Best goalie, Cusa seen probably overall since we had uh, uh, um, John Galloway. Uh, so it was. It's been uh, everyone who's a Cuse fan has been really pumped about Drake Porter in the cage, and he's got the flow uh, that shows too, man. So that you can't beat that. He's got the one, some of the best flow in the game. Uh, we had a little bit of a dispute here last year, and I think Drake. Uh, I I put uh, Jamie Tromboli's hair ahead of Drake's, so uh, we'll see how that goes in twenty twenty one to see who's rocking the better flow. Uh, so that that was a no brainer. I, honest, I won't say that. I won't say that was a no brainer. I think of all the picks that that they made and all the picks that I would make, I think most the most people would chirp about that that Drake Porter pick because there's a bunch of other goalies that you could consider. I do. I think that Drake Porter is necessarily the best goalie in the country. Ah, uh, could be, could be. I think that there'd be an argument to make for a couple other guys. I think though that what Drake Porter has is the best situation. Uh, and, and he plays on a really good team. And I think that puts him in that spot where so far he's earned, uh, he's earned the respect, uh, of his teammates. He's earned the respect of, of, of opposing players and coaches. And I, so I think that even, even if he's not necessarily the best goalie in the country, I think that in terms of this preseason award, uh, given his situation, it makes complete sense. And I totally agree with it, especially because I'm a Q's Homer. Now, this is the one that I thought was weird because, I guess Tarafanko gets the midfielder of the year simply because he's on the field a lot more. And I think, and the specialist of the year award, I, everybody knows who it's going to be because I haven't, haven't said this guy's name yet, but it's, it's TD Erlin, TD Erlin, Yale fame. He will also be a super senior. He was the first overall pick in the 2020 MLL draft by New York, three-time All-American, two-time first-team All-American, Twarton Award finalist, two-time conference player of the year, transferred to Yale after two years at the University of Albany. I mean, Dude's just crazy. His NCAA records, so to just go through some of the records that he holds so far. Ground balls in a game, 29 against Georgetown in 2019. That's crazy. Ground balls in an NCAA tournament game, 29 versus Georgetown. That's the same game. Ground balls in a season, 293 in the 2019 season, second with 254 in 2018. Ground balls in a career, 810 uh, ground balls per game in a season, first and second. He holds those both of those records with 15.42 in 2019 and 13.37 in 2018. Face-offs won in an NCAA tournament game, 31 versus Georgetown in 2019. That's crazy. He won 31 face-offs against Georgetown, and he had 29 ground balls in that game. I don't know how many that means he won clean, but it means he won a shitload of those face-offs clean for sure. I think technically the proper word for that would be he won a fuckload of those over the course of uh, that game. Faceoffs won in a season, 393 in 2019, and he's also second with uh, 359 in 2018. Faceoffs won in a career, 1,159. That's bonkers. Faceoff winning percentage in a game, 26 of 26 against Harvard in 2019, and then face-off percentage in a season, 79.1 in 2018 when he was at Albany. Now, I, I think I had said that it was going to be very hard for him to be able to beat that 79.1 because Ivy League is going to be far hard, uh, uh, tougher competition than the America East conferences, and for any America East teams that get butt hurt by that, bite me. It's the truth. Uh, it is absolutely the truth, and anyone who's objective would agree with that. So, uh, and then Erlen, in terms of his pace for the 2020 season, his career faceoff percentage and career ground ball average would also be records after four games in 2020. It looks like Yale's going to play. I know there's a bunch of Ivy League teams that aren't going to play. I have heard, uh, I believe, Princeton not playing in 2021. I have heard from a birdie that Harvard is not going to play 
in 2021. So I don't know what the Ivy is going to end up looking like and what the other teams will. But as long as TD uh, gets to take the field with Yale here in 2021, and, and even if it is another shortened season or whatnot, he's sure to to jack people up all left and right. So now we got through all of those. And uh, once again, I literally just mirrored uh, the, I, th- I think it was U.S. lacrosse's list because that's what I would have picked uh, across the board. I, I will admit I took some winning over and for me to do a little bit of reading on Tara Fanko. Now, do I think here's here, let me go back through the list and say, who do I think will actually win the awards uh, by the end of the 2021 season? Mike Sowers going to be attackman of the year. The only reason Mike Sowers might not get attackman of the year would be if they decide to do one of those things where they want to spread the awards out. So if Mike Sowers ends up getting player of the year, he may not end up getting attackman of the year. They may end up giving that to somebody else. It could be like, you know, like a Mac O'Keefe or it could be like a Jackson Morrill. You know, those guys are going to be right up there for consideration if they decide to split it up. But Sowers is definitely the attacker of the year in my mind, and he will win that award unless they do something funky because he gets player of the year. Um, midfielder, midfielder of the year. I do not think Ryan Tarafenko will win midfielder of the year, not because he's not deserving. I just think that we're going to end up seeing, you know, some other midfielder that's more of an offensive midfielder that puts up a boatload of points end up getting that award. I feel like a lot of times I feel like giving this to Tarafenko is like, Hey, you're coming back for your, your super senior season. You've had a stellar career. Uh, your that your position defensive midfielders do not get any respect they get no respect as Rodney Dangerfield would say so I don't know that Tarafanko will end up winning that award even if I even though I think he would be totally deserving even without playing the games but I, I I think that of all of these guys two of them have a shot at maybe not winning it and I think Tarafanko is one of them but I think he'd be deserving if he did uh JT Giles Harris pretty much I think he'll win that I think that he's he's been so solid uh, through his entire career. I, I expect that he's going to be really solid in 2021. So I think that he probably does walk with that, although there are some dudes who you could make the argument that could kind of hop in there and and uh, steal that from him. Uh, Chris Fake, one of them. Uh, man, offhand, I'm forgetting the Towson dude's name or, uh, name off offhand, but that dude is filthy, the defender for Towson. So he could also step in and take that away. But I, I, I think that JT Giles Harris is the odds-on favorite, and I think he'll probably win it. Uh, keeper, Drake Porter. I think he's the second one. I think Tarafanko, of all of these guys, I think Tarafanko is the least likely because they just always shit on d- defensive players when it comes to these awards. I think Drake Porter is second in that list just because there's going to be some goalie. Uh, it could end up being uh, Sh- uh, Shulper from Army who's going to end up having like a freaking 75% save percentage or something ridiculous. So Porter, while I agree... He deserves a nod for the preseason goalie of the year, especially being that he's a super senior coming back. I think that there is a chance some other goalie just has an off-the-chain season and ends up stealing that from Porter. And then Erlen's a no, no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer. Erlen is the specialist of the year. I would literally – I'm trying to think of what um, what I would do if he wasn't. Um, if, if TD Erlen doesn't win the specialist of the year and he plays in most or all of Yale's games – I will take this sign here and I will break it over my head in a podcast. That's how sure I am of TD Erlen winning that award. Same thing with Sowers. That's how sure I am that Sowers will win the player of the year or attackman of the year award. Break that sign behind me over my head in, in an episode because that's just how it's going to go. And then my pick, uh, uh, I didn't, I don't know if they picked their, I think they did pick their player of the year, but my pick's going to be the same as theirs as well. My preseason pick for, Player of the year is 100% going to be Michael Sowers of now Duke fame. Uh, it's 
I, I keep using the word no brainer to the point where I'm going to sound like I don't have a brain anymore, but it is the truth. Uh, he is the truth. He will be the player of the year. Oh, as long as he plays in the games and they get the season off, he'll be the player of the year. And you can take that to the bank quite literally. Um, and then now, because this is just going to be a short episode, just a lack of news here still, guys. You know, not a whole lot of excitement going on. One of the things I wanted to talk about is my – I have two favorite podcasts. Podcasts that I when they come out, I listen to them, and I listen to them in their entirety. I used to only have one favorite podcast, and that was The Crease Dive, uh, the Barstool guys doing The Crease Dive. And thank God that Evan Malloy and Nick Asello came out with their new podcast because it's, it's exactly what I look for. Uh, in a podcast, just guys shooting the shit, guys that actually know what they're talking about, though, and then guys that in in these guys' case, they've got far more direct connection to uh, college players, um, to the pro players, being that Ocello, uh plays pro lacrosse, plays for the plays in the the PLL. So by far, uh, those are my two favorite podcasts: the Crease Dive, which you can get anywhere they have podcasts, and the Post Game with Ocello and um, Malloy. But they had Ryder Garnsey on there. So I want to get into my new segment. I'm only going to do this when it, where it's worthy, but it's going. this new segment is called Storytime with Pro Lacrosse Players. And in today's uh, segment, we're going to talk about the post-game interview with Ryder Garnsey. And what they ask Ryder is about just any interactions he had with Ocello. Ocello, I believe, was a super senior playing football at Notre Dame for his super for his graduate year at Notre Dame when Guernsey was a freshman. So they asked Guernsey, what kind of interactions did you have with Ocello? Because their paths did not cross all that often. And Guernsey actually tells a story. His first and one of the only interactions he ever had with Ocello was at the lacrosse house, a party, first night on campus. So uh, it was a hilarious little take. It's going to be short, but... Take a listen. You were a freshman on campus when I was uh, playing football for Notre Dame after playing lacrosse, right? Yeah. Yeah. So here's a funny story about that. Our first night <laughs> at school, um, whatever the freshmen go over, like first night hanging out. Um, I got the lacrosse house with the older guys on the team and stuff. And I knew who you were just because obviously, you know, I watched Notre Dame lacrosse before I got there, but I didn't know you. Um <laughs> and so we're in the basement of the lacrosse house and I'm just like minding my own business with like a couple of my buddies and we, we watch you like come down the stairs and walk over to one of our other buddies and like slap his beer out of their hand you're like go get me another one <laughs> we're just like all right we're fucking avoiding that guy for the rest of the night what a dickhead <laughs> I don't think that ever happened you must have been confused me with someone else <laughs> does not sound like you we didn't interact like much at all, did we? I mean, I would. No, I don't know if I don't even know if we met that night. I I was pretty sure I was not going to go anywhere near you. And I I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. They, these are the types of stories I like hearing in podcasts. And uh, another thing they did, and I can't remember if Garnsey was the only one that they asked this uh, question to, or if they also asked. Um, Blaze Reardon the episode before, but they asked him about, uh, you know, tell a story about getting arrested while you're on campus. And Gar Garnsey had a, I don't know that if he, if he officially got arrested or just got in trouble, but that was a pretty funny story also. So look that up, the post-game podcast with hosts uh, Nick Osello and Evan Malloy. Great podcast, uh, my new favorite here at this moment. Another thing I wanted to talk about, December 21st, this is old news, PLL um, uh, merger crap but uh who was it it was uh kyle devitt put out a article on inside lacrosse that talks about 10 guys that should 
have uh, that should you know jump from the MLL to just being big names in the PLL. So I just kind of wanted to rattle through that. I already talked about some of these guys. Dan Bucaro, attack out of the Denver Outlaws, just one of the most explosive players uh, in the MLL. Didn't put up like crazy level points or anything like that in terms of like the, it wasn't like the leading scorer. Uh, I think he was somewhere in the area seventh or eighth overall, if I remember correctly. But Bucaro is, uh, is fully expected to have a big, he's going to be one of those guys taken early in that expansion draft. Um, another one, Zach Goodrich. And this is where, you know, short stick D mids, uh, as Rodney Dangerfield would say, they never get any respect, but, uh, he's getting respect here. Zach Goodrich, short stick D midi, Boston cannons. And, uh, one of the quotes here that, uh, Devitt said that I thought, uh, it was, it was telling, uh, just in terms of how much respect this guy's garnered. How good is Zach Goodrich? Zach Goodrich is so good that I can count on one hand how many times I can recall a shorty even deigning to dodge on him in Annapolis. So how often do midfielders avoid trying to dodge on a short stick D midfielder? So that, you know, the fact that people are trying to avoid him, despite the fact he doesn't have one of those six foot long poles beating the hell out of people, uh, that says a lot about how much respect he is getting. Andrew Q. Andrew Q. I didn't know who the hell this dude was until they started playing their their uh, uh, bubble tournament in the MLL and uh, the dude could shoot. I know that. And and I talked about this before because he was one of the guys I had talked about, but there was that, that period where he hadn't missed for a little while. And I can't remember. Let's see here. At one point he was perfect from the field and finished the season with a shooting percentage that looked more like a free throw stat than a shooting stat. And I don't, he didn't put the stat in there, but I want to say at one point he was like 10 for 10 or 11 for 11 over the course of like a three game span or something ridiculous like that. So Q he's uh he's been huge and just kind of popped off uh, out of nowhere, uh, at least in my eye, you know, I, I, I'm not a, I, I know all the big, the big cats that played big time D one lacrosse. And especially if you played in one of the big conferences, just because they're right in my face all the time. Q wasn't even on my radar. So I love it when you see guys like him pop off from, uh, you know, smaller schools and, and, and do really well. Um, and then the last one that Devitt talked about was the, the goat, the uh, second, in my opinion, the second greatest player to ever play the college game, the game of college across. And I think overall to me, Lyle Thompson is the goat overall. Um, Lyle Thompson, Chesapeake Bayhawks. Uh, he's he's going to be the man. I think I, I, I he has to be. I'd, I'd assume the first guy taken. If he's not the first guy taken, it will only be because for that that team scenario, they really just don't need a, an absolute dominant goal scoring, um, ball carrying, crazy feeding, nasty beast that Lyle Thompson is. I've been I've been watching every freaking workout video that he puts up with his uh his uh, kettlebells on on Instagram the dude's getting ready so I'm excited to see Lyle Thompson make that jump that's going to be a big deal so uh that's it for today Low, slow news day cannot fucking wait to get to the point where we have actual lacrosse to talk about again but we're getting close here teams are going to start practice uh here at some point in January I presume I think the Ivy gets a late start if the the, the pansies that administer uh the administrators at the Ivy even get their shit together and, and let them go. I know they get the late start, but I presume teams will start mid-January, end of January, and uh, I suspect we'll start seeing games getting played. Who knows what the hell? I've kind of held off on talking about the schedule so far because there's a lot of people speculating that some teams are only going to play who's in their conference. Uh, I know the big uh, 10 people were worried they may just play a a 
10 game or eight game conference schedule where everybody plays everybody twice. I know the ACC is working that in where everyone's going to play each other once. And then a couple of teams are going to play each other twice. And I, but I know they're going to be playing some non-conference games as who knows? One of the things they talked about in the post game that I thought was would have been really interesting was maybe they ditch conference play for the um, uh, for this shortened vid, the second vid season, uh, with the idea being that uh, Baltimore, New York, the regions, the New England region, Southern regions could maybe get games in against teams that are close to them. But I think that would be a nightmare. I think you're going to end up seeing them try to keep the vid within the conference primarily, and then just play a couple of local teams where you don't have to deal with the the crazy travel. Um, so I've just been holding off on talking about the schedules until we really know what's happening because we don't know how many of the Ivy League teams teams are going to end up playing. Like I said, I've heard uh, rumors that Harvard is going to opt out and that entire team is not going to play. I believe Princeton's already kind of announced that guys and girls aren't going to play. So we'll see how that pans out. But once these schedules are truly finalized and guys start showing up to practice, that's when I'll start going through the conference schedules and and we'll start looking at what's going to happen. But Right now, a lot of crap is up in the air. We have the Syracuse crap that's up in the air. Like I said, I know what's going down, and when there is actual stuff to report, I will report it, but I will not be first. Um, We'll leave the news breaking uh, to the inside lacrosse guys and some of the other guys on Twitter that do it. I know the story. I'm going to avoid that story, uh, and I'm not going to say shit because, you know, a bunch of people tell me stuff, and I don't want to be the guy that breaks that confidence, even if they don't care. I just don't want to be that guy that, that runs around and, and talks shit, especially because we're dealing with kids here. I, I, I think that's weak. These aren't kids. I mean, these are young men and they can handle it, but I'm not going to be the dickhead to to uh, pop off at the mouse and mouth and tell people what happened. So as soon as somebody else pops off at the mouth and uh, all you guys uh, know what happened, I'll go into what I've heard and, and, and we'll figure out what the hell's going to happen. But right now I'm just hoping nothing happens. I'm hoping Steven Rafis doesn't transfer. Uh, I'm hoping that all those guys that inside lacrosse reported may have entered the transfer portal that didn't. I'm hoping none of those guys transfer and it all hinges on something that'll be decided here shortly. And I think within this week, I think by the end of this week, we will probably know what's going to happen in Cuseland uh, with that whole scenario. So that is it. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. As always uh, go to laxfactor.com and you can get yourself swag, Maryland flag shorts, all that crap. And uh, like, subscribe. Uh, if you listen to the audio version, uh, anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor or anywhere where you get podcasts. And then as always, be sure to share uh, with your homeboys and all that crap. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And uh, we will be back for Thursday's regularly scheduled uh, show. It's weird. I'm putting this out on Sunday, so it'll probably tank and only get like three, 400 views on YouTube and, you know, maybe 800 to 1,000 across all platforms but uh, i'm gonna put it out today because i didn't get it out on thursday because the holiday yo it was holidays and stuff we had stuff to do so that's it thank you for watching thank you for listening who's is out 